0: to Tales of Panam, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 21 through 25 of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. Gotta get prepared for the recap because it's not brief. Once again, spoilers, spoilers for the recap. It's long. Also, next week's will be very, very long. I apologize in advance. During his meeting with Highbottom, Coriolanus is given the option to become a peacekeeper to avoid the public disgrace of being expelled from the academy, and he takes it. He requests to be assigned to District 12 and says his goodbyes to Tigris and the Grand Man before being transported there to start his 20 years as peacekeeper. He befriends three other recruits named Smiley, Bug, and Beanpole, and they begin training together. To Coriolanus' surprise, Sejanus shows up at the barracks, saying that he was also facing expulsion for going to the arena, but his father worked out a deal so that he and Coriolanus could still graduate. Sejanus begins training with the others, and he and Coriolanus are assigned to the squad of peacekeepers securing the execution of Arlo Chance, who is being hanged for setting off an explosion in the mines that killed three people. Coriolanus and his new recruit friends attend a performance by the covey at the Hob, in which Lucy Gray performs. She spots Coriolanus in the crowd, but before they can reunite, Billy Top, a former member of the covey, shows up and causes a scene. A fight breaks out between the miners and the peacekeepers. The mayor's daughter, Mayfair Lip, is also present, and Coriolanus and Sejanus are tasked with escorting her home along with a squad of peacekeepers. While there, they spot Billy Top sneaking into her house to see her. Coriolanus tracks down Lucy Gray, and they finally have a proper reunion in the meadow. They exchange stories of what has happened to them since the games. When they return to the cubby's cabin, they spot Billy Top talking to Sejanus. They go to confront Billy, and Coriolanus realizes that he and Sejanus were drawing a map of the Peacekeeper's base. When he asks Sejanus about it later, he tells him that Billy and some of the other rebels want him to check up on Arlo Chance's girlfriend, Lil, who is being held at the base. Coriolanus urges Sejanus not to help them, as conspiring with rebels could get him killed. The recruits are tasked with capturing Jabberjays and Mockingjays to be taken back to the capital and studied. Back at the base, Coriolanus searches through Sujanus's locker and finds a large amount of money hidden in his things, revealing that he has been lying to Coriolanus. Uh, and there we have it. This this section is really fun because it's like so much is happening, and you know it's all just a setup for the absolute mayhem that is about to go down in the last five chapters. Like, and it's such a it's such a fun experience on like a reread because when you first read it, you're like, I can tell some some bad shit is about to happen. Like, I can tell it's about to go down, but like you don't really know but on a reread you're like oh no oh i know where we're going oh it's so dark um but yeah nothing in life could have prepared me for what happens in the last five chapters i mean okay there were some things that i was like i know this is going to happen like there was one thing that i won't say it in case you know anyone doesn't want it spoiled but like i literally within the first like couple chapters of the book i was like this is going to happen and it's going to be bad um and then it did happen but like the details of like the events that happen at the end of this book and just like some of the general things that happen and nothing in life could have prepared me i still go crazy every single time even though like i know what's coming at this point so yeah this section is just like building dread of like knowing it's about to get bad um and you just don't know exactly how and that's the worst part that is truly the worst part but let's get into some actual topics first of all every every day or I guess every week, we learn more about Dean Casca Highbottom. And by more, I mean not really anything because we still don't really know what his deal is. Um, I've really been talking about him a lot. I can't remember if I said this already, but like sometimes on a reread, I'll have like one character that I'm like, I didn't really appreciate you before. Like it happens every time I reread any of the Hunger Games books not so much the originals now because it's been so many times that I'm like I have appreciated every character at this point but like with this book it still happens every time and it's usually like smaller characters but for some reason this time Dean Casca Highbottom is really like catching my interest like I feel like I could talk about him forever and previously I was just kind of like he's a guy like he's just a guy um but I don't know I'm just like really interested in him on this reread for whatever reason um I guess fifth time's the charm. I think this is the fifth time I've honestly lost count at this point. It might be six. Anyway, um, but yeah, a little lore drop about like him and Snow's father. um, And we also get more of it from Pluribus's letter that he sends to Snow, which again, every time Pluribus is present, I'm just like, how are we going to do this in the movie when he is not a character? Um, I do think that the guitar because like Snow gets the guitar for Lucy Grady in her interview from Pluribus. I'm guessing that will just come from a classmate because he originally asks his classmates if any of them have one and they say no, so I'm guessing in the movie they'll just have one. But this letter he gets from Pluribus is like really important because it hints more at the, what the relationship between Casca Highbottom and Crassus Snow was like and that is going to be very important especially at the very end when it's like revealed what exactly happened there. It's like really important to the way that High Bottom treats Snow. And it's important that we get these little hints throughout. Um, but I do have a feeling that the movie is going to, like, just drop that bomb at the end and, like, not hint so much at it. Um, aside from, like, why High Bottom has this, like, weird vendetta against Snow, seemingly. Um, but, yeah, he's basically like, I don't know. I heard this, like, conversation. It seems like they had a falling out. And Snow was like, okay, well, apparently they never made up because Casca High Bottom was, like, out to get me um like even when Sejanus's father is like paying people off to get like Sejanus to graduate and he like includes make sure that Coriolanus is included in that high bottom is like no absolutely not and they have to like like basically like over or like outvote him basically um so it's very interesting there's another high bottom thing that I want to talk about but I'm going to save it till later because I'm trying to go like Vaguely chronologically, in the order that things happen, but oh my gosh, it makes me feel crazy. Anyway, um, the peacekeeper program is something very interesting that up until this point we didn't really know anything about. Like, we knew what peacekeepers were, we didn't really know like where they came from, what their deal was. Like, and so I think it's very interesting here that we learn that it is a mix of capital and district born people. The district born people thing is really interesting to me because, like, I don't think there is a job that would be more frowned upon in the districts than becoming a peacekeeper, right? Like that's like literally the enemy basically, you know, Um, especially the role that peacekeepers play in the series, like becoming a peacekeeper is something that would make you very unpopular with the people back in your district. Um, Which is why I forget if it's bug or smiley who says that like they never assign peacekeepers to their home district, you know, like, if you're from District 8, they're not going to assign you to District 8, because then you're going to be, like, policing people that you know, and it will just cause additional problems, so they always assign you to, like, a different district, which is why they ended up in District 12, um, but anyway, it's just very interesting, of like, what would make a district person want to become a peacekeeper, and, and the thing is that, like, peacekeepers get paid peacekeepers get food provided to them they get housing things that a lot of people in the districts do not have so i can see how that would look like the best option and like the best way out but like yeah like you you could never like even after your 20 years even if they were to let you go back to your district like people would not like you if you went back there is the same way with like i think this is mentioned in the first hunger games book of how like the people people in the districts that were, like, capital sympathizers during the war, like, basically people who were, like, rewarded for, like, selling out their neighbors who were rebels or, like, paid off or stuff like that kind of lived in, like, their own little area because, like, they, like, no one liked them, obviously. And also, like, they had the money from the the bad things that they did, like, selling out their neighbors to the capital. Um, also makes me think of the first quarter quell being that, like, people voted for... The, the like people in the districts had to vote for who was being sent to the games and I always think about it of like in a district like district 12 like would they have voted for someone with the best chance of winning or the child of someone they didn't like or and not just like didn't like like I'm saying like would they have voted for the kids of like the the like peacekeepers or like political officials or like um yeah like capital sympathizers or like the ancestors not ancestors I guess by that point, they would still kind of be like in that generation. Anyway, point being, that literally has nothing to do with this book, though. Um, I just think about it a lot because also then it's like, you know, you vote for the children of like the people who are more capital in the districts, like the, like I said, like the politicians, the peacekeepers, the people that are like benefiting from the capital's like punishment of the others and the people that have like more money, whatever. But it's the exact same thing that the capital is doing is like punishing the kids for the quote-unquote mistakes of their parents. And again, it's like the children are innocent in this. Um, so like, would the people of like a district like District 12 stoop to the same level as the Capitol or would they genuinely vote for someone who they thought had a chance of winning? I don't know. Would love would love more information there. But I also think it's more fun to just not know and have to speculate. But anyway, none of that... Li- that literally has nothing to do with this book. Um, <laughs> So sorry for the tangent. Uh, But yeah, the District people becoming peacekeepers is something very interesting to me as well as it being kind of like you're out in the capital like it's like oh you're about to be expelled you have the opportunity to sign up to become a peacekeeper so that people won't know that like you flopped um <laughs> and by flopped I mean like broke the law or like broke rules in the games um anyway there's also this letter that Snow gets from Tigress. I just love Tigress so much the way that she like still has hope that things will get better after everything like it's just so I think there is something so admirable about a character who is hopeful just for the sake of being hopeful and like good just because it's the right thing to do um it's part of why I love Sejanus so much just because he does the right thing because it is the right thing and because he has like a moral obligation to do it um but Tigris is very much a character who like maintains a sense of hope despite all the things that have happened to her and all the things she sees in the world and just like the state of the world in general and I think that's really admirable also I did talk last week about like the the not last week two weeks ago whenever I talked about the last section I don't even know anymore um about like snow lands on top and like what tigress means when she says it versus what Coriolanus means and for tigress it's more of like a a snow is going to like get through any hardships that come their way versus for Coriolanus it's like I am going to rise above others and like be more powerful and higher status and have more money and be more beloved like stuff like that um so it's like it just makes me like think about that more when Tigris signs the letters with Snowlands on top she signs it S-L-O-T which stands for Snowlands on top um Because, you know, she's saying out of a place of, like, hope and, like, support of Coriolanus, but you know that's not what he means when he says it. And I just think it's very interesting the difference between those two people when they're a part of the same family and also being as close as they are. Like, they're literally so close. And and knowing that like they are going to have a a very bad like falling out like I think be I think falling out is not a strong enough word because like Tigris canonically wants Snow dead by the end of the of Mockingjay or like by the time we get to Mockingjay so like clearly something has gone very wrong um, but they are extremely close and really like do have a deep trust and understanding between them um, anyway just love her a lot all right let's you know let's just get into it so Sejanus shows up Snow is very excited to see him I okay we're just gonna dive right in if you engage at all with the Hunger Games fandom on pretty much any social media you're probably aware that there is a popular ship Snow Janus being Coriolanus and Sejanus um with a lot of people like shipping them it's time for me to speak my truth on that. I, I believe so strongly in Sejanus plant being like the young queer person who's in love with their straight best friend. Okay. I don't think, and again, this is all like head. (laughs) So like, this is just fully my opinions on this, on this matter, but I have to talk about it because like, hello. Um, I believe in Sejanus plant is in love with Coriolanus Snow or at least has feelings for him and Snow does not have any feelings back because Snow doesn't even really like Sejanus. Even if we're moving beyond like romantic headcanons into just like purely what is happening in the text, he doesn't really like him like at all. He kind of wishes he would like go away Um, because he's causing problems for him and so and, and like the only reason he is relieved that Sejanus is there is because one he is bringing news that like not everyone in the capital hates him and that like he's graduated the academy like he's he's bringing good news to Snow about his own future and also because he's from his world and he doesn't have to lie and hide his identity around him or like hide his role in the games and his relationship with Lucy Gray around Sejanus so it's literally just for his own benefit. He's not like, oh, I'm glad Sejanus is here because I care so much about him. And I'm glad that like things might work out for him in a way that that he will be satisfied with. Like it's not that at all. He literally doesn't care about him. Also, there is it's also just more sad. And like, we know I love a sad story. Um, I mean, like, I'm a Hunger Games fan, so like clearly uh Maki J is my favorite book. Like, we know I love to be sad it's so much more sad if it's Sejanus like being in love with snow and it being completely unrequited. Anyway, those are just my thoughts on the matter. But yeah, I, I know a lot of people do like actually ship them. And I'm like, no, I ship them in a way of like, it's painful for Sejanus. Also, like, I don't know. I, I Here's the thing. Sejanus, like, I don't think that he is an intentionally queer coded character, but like he can be if you want him to be like it. Like, it's there you know like a sp- like I was thinking about it when I was reading about the part where he's like I'm so tired of having these like ideological debates with my father when we're never going to agree and I was like oh it's giving like coming out and him not being supportive anyway it's just like something that like at- it's like fun to think about um like possible headcanons for Sejanus anyway also because I think about him a lot so I have a lot of headcanons about him But yeah, there's just like little things in the text that I'm like, I do believe that you are not straight and that you have feelings for Snow and that he doesn't reciprocate and that that is very hard for you (laughs) Um, and it's very sad. So anyway, I just had to speak on it because it's a popular ship and I see it a lot on social media and like here, these are my thoughts. Um, Continuing with Sejanus things that make me sad. Um, (laughs) Okay. When Sejanus first shows up in 12 as a peacekeeper, Snow is literally laying in bed being like, I'm I wanna die right now. Like I seriously hope I die. Um and you're like, okay, what like you're being so dramatic. But anyway. And then okay, you're really not supposed to think like that's not that's not the vibe. But like still, it's like he's literally like. I'm just going to be like a soldier for the rest of my life. And I'm never going to be able to be like, become president and do all the things I want to do. And it's like, okay, well, you're being fed and you have a paying job and you can send money home to support your family. So like, I know it's not like, I know being a peacekeeper is not great. And I know you had other plans for your life, but like, it could be so much worse. He's literally, that's okay. That's what I'm trying to say. He's acting like he is suffering more than anyone has ever suffered before. And I'm like, I promise you are not. There's a line where he's like, oh it's just so terrible that like such bad things have happened to like me and lucy gray because we're both such remarkable people and i'm like and then he always like compares his time in the arena i'm saying that with air quotes because he was like barely in there and like yeah it was a traumatic experience i'm not trying to say that it wasn't i'm not trying to like discredit that for him but also like why is he comparing that to the time lucy gray spent in the arena also like they're I know that he kind of was like, I feel like these peacekeepers would have let me die. And like, he literally had to kill Bob to survive, but also like Lucy Gray was in there the whole time. And like, people were like, she was like actively a part of the Hunger Games. So like, maybe let's not compare. Um, I'm just like in general, like comparing what he goes through to what the people in districts go through. And it's like, yeah, hard. It's been hard for him. Like, I'm not saying it hasn't, but just like maybe have some perspective before acting like you have suffered more than anyone else in the world has suffered in like the history of mankind because I promise it is not true um especially at this point when he's like again like he now has a job he is making money he can send money home to his family like whatever whatever (laughs) point is I hate you Coriolanus no but anyway so Janus shows up and I will literally start crying because he basically is like Coriolanus is basically like, I literally was like laying here thinking about how I want to die. And then you showed up and like saved me, basically. Um, and by saved him, I mean he comes and tells him that like he did get to graduate and that like people in the Capitol don't all hate him. And he's like, Wow, thank you so much to Janus for telling me that people think I'm great still. Okay. Um, but then Janus is like, I don't know if you were joking about, like, the suicide thing, but it wasn't a joke to me. Like, I had it all planned out and everything. And I was like, I am going to start crying because Sejanus, <laughs> I just love you so much. And he is truly, like, the epitome of, like, they deserved better. Wow. Anyway, um, yeah, that little line makes me so sad. and I wanted to point it out because I feel like it's often forgotten and it's, like, really... A, like really heartbreaking moment for his character um let's move on I did want to briefly mention snow brings up district 13 gets brought up at one point and snow is like yeah but it like got destroyed along with like all of our all of the snow's fortune because like like I said i had said and like it says in the book they had invested in like the weapons in district 13 so when they were all destroyed, Um, they, like, lost all their money and that's why they, like, don't have money now. It's just funny to me when you remember that all those weapons were not actually destroyed. They're, like, in Thirteen Underground and, like, the people of Thirteen are, like, still there because the capital and Thirteen basically made their, like, secret deal, like, where Thirteen was like, okay, we'll, like, go away, um, we'll pretend that we've been destroyed so that we don't, like, engage in nuclear warfare and, like, destroy everything. Um, and the capital basically was like, okay, slay. And then was bi- probably hoping that they would all just like die off. But they didn't. Um, what? Yeah, we we know all this from the original books. Um, but the fact that the weapons weren't actually destroyed, that they're still there. But the Snows no longer have ownership of them. So they lost all their money anyway. And they think they were destroyed, but they're not. Genuinely the funniest thing ever. And also thinking about the fact that like years and years down the line when the second rebellion is happening... And District 13 is like, hi, we have all these weapons. Snow was probably like, are you serious right now? That was my family's money. And and we ended up being broke. And I just like can't feel bad for them because, again, they invested their money in like weapons to use against like the districts in the event of a war. Like literally that is what they were trying to do with those weapons. And that's what the Plints are doing too. Straybow plants my enemy um are also like making profiting off of war basically is is what they're doing um so yeah anyway makes me laugh um especially when he's the one thinking about it I'm like you don't even know bro that those weapons are going to be used against you that is the other thing is that those weapons are literally the weapons that are used against him and ultimately end up being his like it, like, defeating him in the second rebellion are the weapons that District 13 had that technically belonged to his family in the beginning. Uh, it's so funny. He got what he deserved. Anyway, another thing about Coriolanus being in District 12 is that you think it would cause him to, like, open his eyes about how horribly the Capitol is treating the districts, but it's, like, literally doing the opposite. Like, they're there and he's, like, people in the Capitol are always complaining about, like, how much money goes towards the district out of like taxes and like whatever, whatever. Um, but like everything in the districts is so run down. Like, how is that even possible? We spend so much money on them. And sejanus literally has to be the one to be like, that money is not going to like the people. It is going to the capital's industries in the districts. Um basically like they're not paying like the people in district 12. They're paying for like the coal. And that's why all the people are still like starving and broke and and like, don't have nice houses or, or clothes or anything. Like, it's so. And Snow's like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, we give them so much. And I'm like, you're literally so dumb. Like, how are you so blinded by propaganda that you don't see this obvious situation? And so Janus is literally like, yeah, man, like, <laughs> hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the capital's terrible. And yet Snow is still like, no, they're not. And Snow's also like, and this, like, oh my God, okay. There is oh my god. You know what? No, we're not gonna talk about that yet. We're gonna wait. I do want to talk about like Snow basically talking Sejanus out of helping the rebels and being like the districts are terrible. Um, but we're not, we'll get there. I've talked so much about Snow's like jealousy and possessiveness over Lucy Gray, so I'm gonna kind of move past that. Might come back to it later, um, if I have time, but I've again said it a lot and it's once again gets worse every time they interact. So I do want to talk about the Covey, my best friends, um, I love, I love, okay, I'm so excited to see the scene in the movie where they do this performance at the Hob, because, like, even in the book, I'm, like, I'm there, like, Suzanne does such a good job here of, of, like, creating the atmosphere of this concert, and I'm, like, I literally feel like I am seated and watching the Covey perform, And I'm so excited to see it in the movie and, like, hear their music and hear them all perform. It's just going to be so good. Um, But also, I love the way that they do their performances where basically they, like, they don't make anyone pay for entry. Um, And, like, that's what they say. They're, like, like, sometimes hungry people need music the most. I love that line because it is so true is that like sometimes the people who can't afford those little luxuries of like being able to see live music in this instance are the ones that really need it. And like music is such a source of like light and hope in people's lives. And so just getting to be able to experience that can like change someone's life literally. Um. And so the fact that they like basically are just like give what you can, Um. but we don't expect anything if you don't have it. Oh my gosh I just love them so much. The idea for the Covey is just so like fascinating and such a good idea and this like and the way that they kind of think of themselves like not necessarily as district but as their own group because they would like travel between districts before they kind of got like pinned down in district 12 basically. Um, It's just such an incredible concept and like is going to slay so hard in the movie. Um, Also we the members of the Covey I love them all a lot. Maud Ivory. I would risk it all for you. Also, maybe your Katniss's grandmother. Um, but that's I'm sure we will be discussing that probably next week or sometime, I don't know. I have feel like next week I'm going to be have a lot to talk about. Um <laughs> Lord. Anyway, but we'll talk about it at some point. But I do believe in that. Um I just can't give all my evidence yet because, like, spoilers. But oh my gosh. Okay. This is just so random, but it's just because I love Sejanus and I love Maude Ivory. But when they, like, go down to the meadow and, and Coriolanus is like, okay, I need to go, like, talk to my girlfriend. Maude Ivory, like, takes Sejanus's hand and is like, come on, you can come, like, help me out the cabin. And he's like, oh my gosh, I would love to help. And I'm just, like, when, like, I love a man, a boy. He's, like, 18. He's technically a man, but in many ways a boy. It's just, like, it's so good with kids. And just so, like, like, that sh- That tells you so much about a person, of how they treat, like, a kid. Especially when, like, they're in this weird position where, like, they're peacekeepers and these are, like, people of 12. But he's like, oh, my God, yeah, I'm Lord Ivory. I'd love to help you out. And I'm like, that's so cute. Anyway, I just love him. I love them. I can't wait to see that little moment in the movie. Um, also, when Snow goes out to the meadow to see Lucy Gray, life changing because she is singing the hanging tree, or she's like writing the hanging tree basically. And I'm like, oh, you wrote that song, and then Katniss Everdeen sing anyway. Also, adds to my Maud Ivory's grandmother theory because, like, that's not a song that you could like sing all around because it would like get you in trouble. Um, because it's on the rebellious side, and also Maud Ivory has her like. Think like Lucy Gray's like she literally remembers every song she ever hears. And I'm like, you know who else can do that? A Katniss's dad. I am connecting the dots. Anyway. Um, but yeah, she's like writing the hanging tree about our low chances hanging, which when you think about it, you're like, yeah, it's like he he murdered three. He did murder three people. He called called out for his love to flee. And also the dead man called out because it's like after he dies, the mocking jays are still repeating his call for Lil to run. Like Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh it hits. It hits also. Oh my god. We will be discussing the lyrics of the I can't do this. Every time I say we're gonna talk about this next week, I'm like, are we though? Because we got a lot to talk about next week. I am also gonna do a Lucy Gray episode at some point, Anna's and Jana's episode, so like me and save some stuff for those. But anyway, we will probably discuss the lyrics of the hanging tree next week. Because oh my gosh, yeah. I cannot speak more at this time because you just got to read it. You just got to read it. Um, And I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't read it yet because trust you do not want the the ending of this book spoiled for you. You want to be surprised. I had the luxury of like the book had literally just come out when I started reading it. So there was no one to be spoiling for me. Uh, And I'm so glad because it made me feel insane crazy bonkers um okay this is such a small moment but like because I am insane and and know every detail of this series I it does stick out to me so when snow walks up to see Lucy Gray in the meadow she like gets startled and like jumps up off the rock um I think she's sitting on a rock doesn't matter (laughs) that's literally not important at all um (laughs) She, like, gets startled and jumps up. And then she's, like, sorry, I still got one foot in the arena. And it reminds me of the scene at the very beginning of Fishing Fire in in the movie when Katniss is, like, out in the woods. And Gale is, like, walking up. And he, like, breaks a branch. And she, like, freaks out and jumps up and, like, points her bow at him. Also, because Lucy Gray is, like, holding her guitar in this scene. And it's, like, the guitar is her, like, quote-unquote weapon in the way that, like, a bow and arrow is Katniss's. Like, it is the thing that is keeping her alive because, like, Katniss uses her arrows to hunt, her bow and arrows to hunt. Lucy Gray uses her guitar to play music, which is what gets her food and money. Anyway, that's just a whole different thing. (laughs) Um, It also, again, reminds me of that tweet that was, like, Lucy Gray is what happens when you put a performer in a hunt and Katniss Everdeen is when you put a hunter in a performance. I will never not think about that again thank you so much to whoever tweeted that um because you changed my life genuinely but yeah those are just two really little scenes and also because the reason Katniss freaks out is because it's like after she's gone back from the first games and like she gets startled easily um I just love those girlies so much Lucy Gray Baird Katniss Everdeen you mean the world to me truly I'm getting emotional now I need to move on um Okay, now we're at the high bottom thing that I wanted to talk about. He gives Lucy Gray money before she leaves the Capitol. And he, okay, here's how she describes this moment. She goes to meet with him, whatever, it's after the games have ended and she's won. He apologizes to her for everything that she's gone through. And he gives her money to take back to the districts with her. And it's like a good amount of money. And it's also pretty, very like hush hush. Like it's pretty clear that no one else is supposed to know about this. Think on that, and I I cannot. Oh my god, I cannot speak on Highbottom's motivations in detail at this time because there is information that we have not, we don't yet have at this point in the book. But just like that is so. This is what I mean when I say that he is like so interesting to me. Like I just. Same about him like giving her it's not even just the money it's, i mean like it is the money yes but it's the fact that he's like i'm so sorry for everything that's happened to you or like i'm sorry that you had to go through this whatever it that's like no one else in the capital is doing that even snow is barely doing that like i'm sure he's like oh that must have been so hard for you but like It was also hard for me like that kind of thing like it's never like i'm sorry that this was so awful for you period not making it about himself at all because he has to make everything about himself because he's the worst um also we do get confirmation ish that pretty much that lucy gray's name like was not like was called intentionally like when she her name first gets called sejanus is like something's up like her name was not on that slip and now she's like yeah well billy top like i sent him off to he basically like she's the one who sent him to mayfair lip to like do like piano lessons or something like that um and then like things happened you know you read the book um and then all of a sudden her name is being called at the reaping it's like hmm seems a little suspicious that her ex-boyfriend is now dating the mayor's daughter and then suddenly she's being sent off to longer games um and there's also a lot there's like layers to that but whatever we don't need to get super into it um may I just say though just because some Reapings are rigged does not mean all of them are I am talking to you the people who are like The 74th game's reaping was rigged so that Prim's name would get called because, like, Snow knew that Katniss was, like, going outside the fence and saw her as a threat, so he decided to pull her sister's name to, like, neutralize her, basically. But then, like, Katniss volunteered, blah, blah, blah. No. No. That's not true. That didn't happen. First of all, what makes... I'm just gonna go into this, you know. We've got the time. What makes Katniss such a good protagonist for this series is that she is just some girl like there is nothing inherently remarkable remarkable oh my gosh remarkable about her that's not to say there is nothing special about her as a person that she doesn't have incredible abilities that she's not a great person but like there is nothing that should have made her what she becomes it's just pure circumstances and like that's not to discredit her own strength and the things that she herself contributed but like she truly was just a girl and like Prim and and that's also the thing with Prim's name being called is to show that like the odds are never in anyone's favor and like it can happen to anyone even this 12 year old girl whose name has only been in there once like and so it just I don't know I just feel like when people like bring up that quote-unquote theory about the 74th game it's like reap the district 12 reaping being rigged I'm like I feel like you just like, are missing a lot of what makes the story good, re, like, Katniss's character and Prim's involvement, whatever, but that is, again, has nothing to do with this book, but people do use this as evidence, they're like, well, we know from, like, Ballad that, like, some reapings were rigged, also, hate to um, actually, people, but we already knew that some reapings were rigged, because, like, Katniss literally says that, like, more too often to be a coincidence, like, the children of former victors get reaped for the hunger games and like there's no way that it wasn't rigged in many of those circumstances so like we already knew that reapings could be rigged this is not new information that we learned in the Ballad of song and snakes but people always use this to like prove that that their theory is correct and i'm like it's really not though just because like the mayor's daughter had a grudge against lucy gray baird in the 10th hunger games it does not mean that prim's name was intentionally drawn on the 74th like let us move on from that theory please nothing makes me more mad um because yeah again it just like takes away so much about what is special about Katniss and her story anyway we must move on because this literally has nothing to do with Ballad I just needed to say it because it drives me insane and we did get to this the like rigged reaping thing so it seemed like a good time anyway Coriolanus Snow talking Sejanus Plinth out of helping the rebels and it's in this conversation where he's ba- he gets all mad because he's, like, Coriolanus, he being Coriolanus, um, because he's, like, oh, my God. He's, like, yeah, I know things are, like, terrible for the districts, but, like, they did this to themselves. Like, they started that war. And it's, like, okay, technically the districts are the ones who rebelled, but, like, consider why they felt the need to rebel. Maybe it's because the Capitol was treating them terribly. And it's just, like, he wants to point the blame at anyone but the capital, even though it is very clearly the capital's fault. Because they're the terrible ones. And they're the governing body, and they're supposed to, like, look out for their citizens, and they're doing the exact opposite of that. They're, like, actively, like, tormenting them. And so, him being, like, well, the rebels, like, did this themselves, and, like, if you help them, you're just as bad as them. And Sejanus literally is, like, a rebel through and through. Like, okay, I just, I love him so much because he's, like, I don't know if I could ever kill someone, like, I'm not a fighter, he wants to be, like, a medic for the Peacekeepers, but he's also, like, I could fight for a cause that I believe in, but that cause is never going to be the capital, but, like, he would have fought in a rebellion if there had been one at a time when he could have fought in it, you know? Like, if he'd been around during the Second Rebellion, like, you best believe he would have been fighting um this is so random that I just remembered this but I need I need them to release like another trailer or something that has more Sejanus in it because I want to make a soldier poet king by the oh hellos edit like one of those edits with Sejanus Lucy Grey and Snow because they literally fit it so perfectly because Sejanus is the soldier like all he wants to do is like fight for a moral cause and then obviously Lucy Grey is the poet Because like her her weapon is like her voice and her words and her lyrics and stuff like that. And then I mean snow is the king. Like it literally fits so perfectly and I want to make an edit, but we don't have enough clips of Sejanus unless I just loop the clip of him like throwing that chair like 10 times. Um (laughs) but I need like clips of like him like anyway. Point being, hey, if anyone at Lionsgate is listening, like literally email me like a a Google Drive folder of, like, Sejanus' <laughs> clips. They can be, like, three seconds each. I just want to make an edit so bad. You guys don't understand. Especially because, like, Lucy Gray and Snow, like, we have plenty of content for that edit. I just am waiting for Sejanus' content. The fact that he was not in that trailer war is criminal. Anyway, <laughs> moving along. Um, What was I talking about? I was talking about Sejanus. We know how I feel about him. I don't remember exactly what I was saying, but my point being he wants to fight for a cause he believes in um and he also wants to help people above all else so when like billy top even though billy top maybe is not the most trustworthy person um because i do generally trust lucy gray's judgment especially because she's very much a person that wants to believe everyone is good and like wants to see goodness in everyone so for her to be like i hate him you're like oh it's bad (laughs) um but still Sejanus is like okay but like Lil is trapped in the base. All I would be doing is making sure she's okay. I think that that is important and like Arlo, chances hanging clearly deeply affected him. Okay I just have to I just have to say this. So Corlinus's father, Crassus Snow, we all know he was the worst. And we all know Snow literally ends up taking after him and like becoming exactly the person he wants him to be. Which is funny because Cress Snow and Strabo Plinth actually have a lot in common. But Sejanus does the exact opposite and basically like runs in the opposite direction of everything his father wants him to be. Um, which is why he slays and Goryana Snow is the worst. Um, but every time I think of such Se- or Coralina Snow, I think of that quote that is literally <laughs> from Succession. So stark sorry to talk about Succession on the Hunger Games podcast, but it is relevant, I promise. About like how the poison drips through, which is basically like in in the context of like something like this it's basically being like you, the like in this case your father being like a horrible person and then like the like metaphorical poison drips through so that like like the child is going to grow up to be the same kind of awful person and awful parent which Coriolanus snow fine example of this um but there's this tweet i saw I have it bookmarked. I have it screenshot. Like, it literally changed my life. <laughs> Not to be dramatic, but, like, I genuinely think about this all the time. And I'm going to tell you, okay, <laughs> this is from a Twitter user. Um, but I, it made me think about Correlated Snow when I read it. Um, <laughs> shout out to a Twitter user at Cowboy Crimes with a Z for tweeting this. I hope you know that you've changed my life. Um... And the suite says, men be like, maybe the poison drips through and then put a bucket under their dad's corpse to catch the poison and then drink from the poison bucket and go, mmm, poison. That is literally, that is, that, like, slap that on the back of the ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. That's the plot summary. Put that on the movie. Like, and it, it's so, like, because I think that the poison dripping through thing is already, like, really good. But, like, the fact that, the like, acknowledgement that, like, men like in this instance Coriolanus Snow are complicit in their own consumption of the poison. Like the poison has dripped through and it is very much there but, like, they still can choose not to drink it. And that's, like, what Sejanus Plinth is doing. Like, he could so easily turn into his father, but he is very much not going to do that. And it is not easy because every day his father is in his face telling him to be more like him. And the world around him, especially in the capital, like, wants him to be more like his father, but he is actively fighting against that, proving that it can be done. And that is the thing in a book where it's it's, like, all about, like, could was snow always destined to be evil was there a world in which he became a better person and it's like we know that or it's like is he the problem basically or was it like as a result of like the world around him and like the people in his life and his family and stuff we know that it's him like he's the issue like that it's him that is evil because sejanus has a father almost exactly the same and like has now been growing up in the capital and like obviously circumstances are slightly different because he like started out in district two but the biggest thing is that they're very different people and if snow wanted to not go down that road like the road he ends up going down he could have chosen not to but he chooses to do it and so that's the like drinking from the like drinking the poison that has dripped through um because it's still a choice and so like and that's like what the the I think original tweet is saying is basically like you can you can blame your parents as much as you want for being the way that they were and becoming like them but like you can make a conscious choice to not do that and Snow doesn't do that he does the opposite um yeah there's just something about like Strabo, Plinth, and Crassus Snow being very very similar and very much the same and Coriolanus Snow and Sejanus Plinth could not be more opposite I love that. I love that. That is genius writing. Wow. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed my Twitter reading of a tweet about Succession, Um, but it can also be about Coriolanus Snow if you think about it. Anyway, also at the end of this chapter, Sejanus, like, lies to Coriolanus's face, and Coriolanus is like, oh, because Sejanus has always been honest with him, and this is, like, a huge shift He's, like, out of everything I could always count on his honesty, and now he's, like, flat out lying to my face. And this is also Coriolanus, or Sejanus starting to not trust Coriolanus, because up until this point, he has trusted him a lot more than he should, just knowing what kind of person Coriolanus is. But now we know that he's hiding something from him, because he has decided that, like, it is more important to him to do what is right than to, like, stay on Coriolanus's good side, basically, and, like, it is worth the risk to him even though Coriolanus is like, you could literally be executed for this. He's deciding that it's worth the risk. And so he's like keeping that from him. I think partially also to help him because he does genuinely care about Coriolanus. and doesn't want to like drag him down with him if someone were to find out and he gets in trouble, but also like he doesn't want to be talked out of it. He he knows what the right thing to do is and he wants to do it. I feel like I could talk about that more, but also it's, you know, <laughs> we, are, we are nearing the end of the episode. Um, so I will leave my, the rest of my Sejanus Plum thoughts for next week when we finish the book. I can't believe we're already finishing, but I am working on planning fun things from now until when the movie comes out. So don't worry, I will still be around. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. For those of you reading along with me, next week's episode will be covering chapters 26 through the epilogue of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.